Extortion attacks waged by cyber criminals, like the DDoS extortion group known as DD4BC, are a growing concern for banking institutions and other private sector businesses. In 2016, these attacks are expected to evolve and become even more damaging. So what is the lesson for CISOs? What should they be doing about extortion attacks to ensure their companies are not victimized? And what can they do to ensure they are sufficiently mitigating the risks associated with DDoS and other extortion techniques, such as those associated with threats of data exfiltration and encryption? Here, John Miller, director of iSight Partners Threatscape Cybercrime Division, which provides intelligence about financially motivated cyber threat activity, talks about some of the things he sees going on in the industry and offers advice for CISOs at banks and other companies. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So John, what is the state of extortion attacks and why are they posing a growing concern? Extortion attacks are an established and persistent threat to the private sector as a whole at this time. And the reason for that is a shift that we have seen in who actors are targeting and how they are doing that with these operations over the past year especially. Extortion operations have been around for many years, but historically they have tended to focus on organizations that don't have a lot of recourse to law enforcement assistance because they have a nebulous legal status or are in areas where that type of activity is not a high priority for law enforcement. What we've seen over the last year, though, is that due to some successes that extortionists have had in attacking Western organizations, especially successes in getting a lot of publicity, there has been a move on a broader scale among cyber threat actors in, in the same direction of, unfortunately, attacking the Western private sector and mimicking these successes that they have seen so far. So, John, walk us through how these attacks are waged, kind of a step-by-step -step process, if you will. Sure. There are a couple of types of attacks that we primarily see actors focusing on in the extortion area, the first being DDoS-based extortion operations, and the second being data exposure-based extortion operations, where in some way an actor has compromised information that they believe to be sensitive and associated with the target organization and is, is threatening to expose that. There are some other tactics that have been used historically for the same purpose, such as telephony denial of service and encrypting data rather than publicly exposing it um, in extortion attacks. But the primary tactics that we see being used right now for extortion um, operations that are performed in a targeted manner are DDoS and data exposure. So what the attack pattern typically happens is, is, is similar across all those different tactics. There's an initial ransom demand, and around the same time, there is some amount of threat activity that, in theory, is supposed to be limited and is supposed to demonstrate the capabilities of the operator. And kind of depending on the actor, how that sequence looks will vary. So for example, the DDoS operator might perform a very short attack against a targeted op uh, excuse me, a targeted institution and follow up immediately with a ransom demand that says, hey, that was us. If you don't pay up, we're going to perform stronger attacks against your organization. Um, an extortion operator might initially send a ransom demand and not leak any data at all if, if that's the assess the tactic that they're involved in and say, we have this sensitive data about your organization, you need to pay up or we're going to leak it, 
and then leak a small amount of the data if they don't get an immediate response. So based on those couple examples, you can kind of see the initial interactions there vary as do the later stage of the operation, depending on the threat actor. But from that general area of initial ransom demands and initial demonstration of threat capability, the attackers will move in a couple different directions um, depending on what they're doing and depending on the extortionist. If they don't feel that they are establishing contact with the organization, if they don't feel that their message is getting through for whatever reason, they may just move on. Um, we've seen that in a, in a few cases. Or if they do feel that they have a good chance of, of putting pressure on the organization, they will perform the, the more damaging attack to the extent of their ability assuming that they you know that they do have some ability to do that. So it's a fairly simple process, long story short, kind of varies by the attacker, but there's an initial ransom demand stage with some demonstration of capability and then potentially a larger attack. So let's go back to talk a moment about the threat actors, John. Are all of these attacks waged by cybercrime groups or are some of them being waged by hacktivists too? Due to the nature of a lot of these attempts that the demands are financial in nature, we would say that they are predominantly waged by cybercrime groups, and that historically has consistently been the case. That being said, even among the actors who are financially motivated, there is some crossover into the hacktivist, especially the egotistically motivated space, because we see indications that a lot of these groups are interested in the publicity that they get from their extortion operations. And then, of course, on a more limited basis, historically, there have been some incidents where hacktivists have tried to extort organizations purely for political or ideological goals rather than financial goals. Hasn't been the majority of operations, but that has happened. And as you mentioned, it's not just DDoS. So these threats of data encryption and exfiltration also are used to extort money from companies. Which would you say you think or would you deem, John, to be the most damaging or most threatening? There are a couple considerations there. DDoS is so readily available to essentially any cyber threat actor at this time due to the proliferation of tools and services and tactics that enable DDoS in the cybercrime underground that DDoS is a much higher frequency threat, um, including in the extortion area for most organizations. But of course, when a data breach does occur that results in an extortion attempt, those incidents can be very damaging, more so than a denial of service attack would be if there's a potential, say, for sensitive customer information or other sensitive information to be leaked online. So talking about the banking industry specifically, John, do you think the banking institutions are taking this threat of extortion more seriously than they were a year ago? Yes, I would say so. Really, starting a year ago about now was when we started to see the beginning of this significant uptick in attacks targeting the financial sector, including very large institutions in the United States and Europe. What we had seen over the past year to year and a half is especially that other actors have followed the example set by the DD4BC extortion group. And as of about a year ago at this time, they were really just starting to launch into their attacks on major Western organizations as opposed to the less prominent institutions that they had targeted before that. So I would say as a result of, of that trend, yes, we have seen 
financial institutions increasingly taking a look at whether they're prepared to deal with these incidents and, and what would happen if they suffered one. John, what do you think was the catalyst for this shift in the types of companies that were being targeted? Do you think there was some change fundamentally within DD4BC that encouraged this group to go from smaller institutions to larger ones? You know, that's a great question. There are a couple possibilities that we have discussed. Um, it's not entirely clear, long story short, why that shift occurred, but some, some possibilities are that the group felt like it could get significantly higher ransom amounts from larger organizations. Um, of course, there would be a lower likelihood that any large Western bank would pay one of these ransom demands in comparison to what the group was targeting previously, which was say, for example, illegal gambling sites, may have been the actor's perception that they had a better chance of getting a large ransom amount in one place from targeting financial institutions. The group may also have been drawn by the possibility of greater publicity from attacks on, on large financials than on these, these smaller gray market or obscure sites that it was targeting before. So we think most likely some combination of those factors was involved, but the reason for the shift is, is not entirely clear, especially when you consider that for the broader history of extortion attacks, actors have tended to focus on other organizations because they do feel that the ransom frequency or the frequency of ransom payments is higher and that they're less likely to draw law enforcement attention. So, John, let's go back to talk about DD4BC. Of course, this group has come up a couple of times now over the course of, of our discussions here today. And DD4BC, as you rightly mentioned, really has kind of made a name for itself over the course of the last 12 to 16 months. This group has targeted banks and other industries. Do you see DD4BC as the most threatening extortion group out there, or are there others? Well, Given the law enforcement operation that was reported against the group a little while ago, we would say that they are not the most threatening group at the moment. That's certainly good news, and we anticipate that if the group's operations were still ongoing, which was a bit unclear, that those will at least be temporarily disrupted by that law enforcement operation. That said, during the course of its active state, whether that continues or not, C4BC was definitely a large concern in and of itself. Unfortunately, what we have seen is that group's operations have inspired other actors, as I mentioned. So we would say overall that that group you know, was notable and was significant in and of itself during the course of its operations. It's unclear whether those operations have continued, but the bigger picture, unfortunately, is that other threat actors are now mimicking what DD4BC was doing and resulting in the same types of issues for a lot of organizations. And so then, John, what is the lesson here for CISOs? How should they address these extortion attacks? Sure. There are a few different components to that discussion. One of them is how can these organizations deal with threats from DDoS attacks? Another one is how can they deal with threats from data breach? And then, of course, dealing with the whole situation of the extortion overall and interacting with the malicious actor. To talk through those really quickly, for many organizations, including financials, it is very beneficial on the DDoS mitigation front to work with a mitigation provider as opposed to trying to set up enough infrastructure and capability to absorb all the traffic from a large attack. So that's certainly something that has been beneficial for the organizations that we work with. 
as, as well as many others, establishing a good relationship with the DDoS mitigation provider. Additionally, properly configuring systems that are web-facing to handle large amounts of, of unexpected traffic, properly patching those systems to ensure that their vulnerability to application layer attacks is minimized. In regards to the data breach threat, what to do to prevent extortionists from compromising data that can be used in extortion attempts. There are two main categories of approaches that organizations can take. Network segmentation and, and air gapping are kind of how they're commonly divided up. And what those mean is to the greatest extent possible ensure that sensitive data is only available within the network to the parts of the network that actually need to be able to access that. And air gapping refers to ensuring that as much as possible sensitive data is not accessible from the public internet. And of course, there are many other steps that organizations can take to secure sensitive databases and other information as well. In regards to the extortion side of things, finally, one of the helpful measures that companies can take is ensuring really that any employee who has a public-facing role especially and could be contacted by an extortionist is just aware of what to do in the event that that happens or other unfavorable interactions with cyber threat actors happen in terms of forwarding on that communication to someone who is qualified and authorized to deal with it. What we've seen is these extortionists don't necessarily contact someone who would be making the decision within an organization about how to handle extortion. They may contact anyone who has a public-facing presence. So making sure that employees are informed of what to do in the event of that ahead of time can be very helpful. John, how would you say these attacks are impacting the CISO's role? And what should CISOs be doing to mitigate their risks beyond those that you've already mentioned? Well, let's see. Beyond the obvious influences that these have in, in pressuring organizations to as a whole prepare for these incidents more rigorously, I would say one thing that it would be helpful for CISOs to consider is the data breach risk and associated extortion risk are something that are much more in the court of the potentially affected organization to control. It's very feasible for organizations to take steps internally to limit the possibility of sensitive data being exposed in comparison to the ability that organizations have to limit the risk of DDoS attacks. It's so trivial for an attacker to obtain DDoS capabilities that there's really nothing that an organization can do to stop an attack from being launched against them. The approach is more trying to ensure that traffic is being filtered as well as possible and that systems are optimized as much as possible, that attacks would be handled and remediated in a rapid manner. On the other hand, you know, the data breach issue is something that is much more contained within the organization's network in terms of what steps can be taken and what preparations can be made to reduce the risk. Organizations do have more control in that area. So while unfortunately, as the incidents that we have seen to date have demonstrated, attackers can get in even when organizations do have the best of intentions, something for CISOs to be aware of is that despite the preparations that they take on the DDoS front, they are still always going to have that problem. Their approach just has to be minimizing it to the extent that is feasible based on the services they offer. And would you say, John, that there's probably more expectations being put on CISOs, maybe from the C-suite or even the board of directors, to 
stay abreast of these emerging extortion threats? Yes, certainly. And typically what we see really for any type of cyber threat activity that rapidly rises to prominence for the financial sector is that that causes a corresponding pressure of, of the type that you just mentioned. This has certainly been an area of, of increasing focus for the financial sector as a whole during the past year. As we discussed earlier on the call on history-aided pressures really throughout organizations to be better prepared and better understand these types of threats. And then, John, finally, before we close, are there any additional thoughts you'd like to share with our audience about the extortion attacks or the groups that are waging them? Let's see. I think going back to what I mentioned earlier, the primary takeaway from what we have seen over the past year is that a lot of organizations hadn't really paid much attention to extortion operations for a long time, despite the fact that they have been around for so long, because they tended to target entities with little recourse to law enforcement assistance. At this time, though, based on the trend that we have seen in the the last year, we'd say that really almost any sector, and especially prominent organizations within those sectors, could be victimized by one of these attacks. It's really something that any organization should at least have thought through what they need to do in the event that they have to deal with one of these incidents. Well, John, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from John Miller of iSci Partners. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.